Welcome to the Moments of Joy podcast. I'm your host, Camille Joy, and you are back for another episode. I'm very excited about this episode. We have an awesome guest, and I promised you guys that February will be full of powerful, packed testimonies from guests all over the world. This one is coming from Erica Anderson Urquhart, and she is from Connecticut, And this story is going to be amazing. This week and all the month of February, while we have guests, I will not be doing the Our Choose Joy moment, how we start the episode off every week. But I will begin to do it again in March. And this is just so that the episodes don't become too long and so that we can get right into it. If this is your first time on the show, I want to welcome you. This is a good episode to start with because this is what we are all about. The Moments of Joy podcast is about encouraging you and helping you to see that no matter what it is that you've been through in life, you can choose joy. You can experience the joy in life. You can experience the joy of the Lord that is your strength and you can live again. You can climb up from whatever you have been through in life and you can be great. And so we have numerous episodes in the archives that I would like for you to go back and listen to just so that you could get a grasp about on what we are about. And so I welcome you first time visitors. Welcome back MVPs. All right. Well, I gave you a little introduction of who our guest is, but I want to just go ahead and get right in to the episode. Okay, guys? Here we go. Hello, I am so excited to have with us today, Prophet Erica Anderson Urquhart. Awesome. Hello, how are you? I am well. I'm so excited to have you today. I'm so excited for the listeners to get a chance to hear you. I often give a disclaimer on the show that I am a Christian. I do this before I start. So as soon as they click on, they know what they're getting into. But (laughs) I tell them that, you know, my guests and my topics are given to me by the Lord. So I had the opportunity to get to know you over the past few months and hear your story. And I'm so excited that the listeners get to witness and hear your powerful testimony i'm excited i'm really excited um, to be here and i thank you for inviting me to be a part of moments of joy and to share my story with your listeners thank you so much Camille. you're so welcome it's so powerful that i can't give a sneak peek but i decided (laughs) (laughs) i decided to name the show the aftermath and I very know they're powerful. Gonna be blessed. That word is very yes. powerful in and of itself. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. So I just, I want us to start with your story at, you know, how you grew up and right into your young adult years, what was going on sure. and just lead us into who you are. <laughs> sure, sure. Um, okay. I am the oldest of three children. I have two younger brothers. One is 18 months younger than myself, and one is 10 years younger than myself. Um, My family is originally from Florida, but during our younger years, we grew up in Florida, Massachusetts, and Connecticut. Um, My mom was born and raised in Florida, and I myself, which a lot of people who who know me don't know this personally, but I myself was born in Florida. Um, oh, wow. Mom, what part of Florida? Yeah. I'm sorry. What part of Florida? Um, Dunnellen, Florida. I, oh, my wow. mom lived in Dunnellen, Florida, and uh, I was born in Ocala, Florida. Oh. So, um, you know, living in the north, 
uh, is of course very different from Southern living, but my mom always loved Florida. I mean, she, she was born and, and bred there and she loved the South. She moved here when I was about four. And that's also around the time that she accepted Christ. I really never knew my mother uh, outside of her life of salvation. She moved here uh, to be with her uh, youngest sister um, to help her. Uh, and kind of, she was getting ready to have a baby, help her kind of get adjusted and acclimated to some things. So the trip was supposed to be temporary and it ended up actually um, kind of remaining. You know, she ended up remaining in Connecticut for pretty much most of her life. Uh, our early years were very disjointed. And, you know, when I, when I look back over the timeline of my story, you know, what I can remember starts at about three or four years of age and I'm 50 now. So that's about, you know, 40, 46, 47 years ago mm-hmm. that I'm piecing things together. I can see looking back how making emotional decisions or making decisions without really consulting the Lord and getting clear direction can derail an individual's life. Wow. My mom moved here. It was supposed to be a temporary move, but something very telling happened on her trip here. On the flight from Florida to Connecticut, she had packed all of our things, pretty much her clothing. She didn't have a lot of stuff, but those Mm -hmm. things that she had, she packed for myself. Uh, my younger brother, the one who's 18 months younger than me, and, you know, herself. That, that luggage went to Alaska. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> that luggage never made it to Connecticut. Oh, my goodness. So she made a decision to come here. And when she got here, she had already lost everything, Camille. Mm-hmm. Already. Mm-hmm. She had no job. Oh my- Uh, She didn't know anyone here except for, you know, her sister and a couple of people that she would meet, you know, once she got here. She had two children um, and no no means of support at that time Mm. and literally had nothing except the clothes on her back. Wow. When I look back over my mother's life, that was sort of like a blueprint of how her life would go until her life ended. Mm. She never again, um, you know, really liked to travel. It made her very nervous to travel. She didn't like uh, being uprooted and it made her very fearful of life. Wow. Very fearful of life. Our early years here for her, and you can stop me whenever you want, Camille. <laughs> no, no, it's okay. I'm enjoying. <laughs> yes, this is good. Um, once, you know, she accepted Christ very, very early. And she just immediately got into the life of, you know, um, Christendom. And one of the things that I look back now, you know, being a 50-year-old woman, and I look back at her surroundings and the culture that surrounded her was she was primarily a woman like, you know, so many years ago, most churches, most smaller African-American Pentecostal churches were um, comprised of uh, women and children. And a lot of the times the women were single. So they were single moms and their children. And she got right into, you know, the fray of, you know, the church going and serving the church and serving the Lord as best of her understanding. Um, She met a man, my stepfather, when I was five and that meeting totally changed all of our lives forever and not for Mm. the better actually for the worse wow he was uh in the church he was a pedophile Jesus and he was a rapist oh no and this was not unknown to adults in their circle you know, again, mm-hmm. when I think about the fine points of this story and 40 years ago, how we communicated um, about child protection and how we communicated about um, the safety 
of women and children, you know, as it relates to domestic violence. I can see that my mom did not really have a lot of support. Uh, she married this man and immediately, even before they married, he started physically abusing us. And when I was six, they married when I was five, I believe when I was six, he started sexually molesting me. So that started oh building goodness. the foundation of insecurity in me, mm -hmm. low self-esteem, fear. Right away. Feeling unprotected, wow. feeling violated, feeling mm. like no one is coming for me. No one is going to help me. No one is going to rescue me. No mm -hmm. one is going to take me out of the situation. In the first grade, I began to show a marked um, shift in my personality. I went from being happy, vivacious, outgoing, very social, to literally depressed at six years old, to the point wow. where my teacher came to our home. And at that time, we lived in the housing projects of New um, on a street called Ashman Street. And, you know, this, um, you know, Caucasian, very kind, very loving woman, you know, came into this environment that she was not very familiar with um, to talk to my mom to try to find out what was going on with me. And there were no clear answers. You know, I don't know if my mm -hmm. mom was afraid to communicate. I don't know if perhaps she was in denial mm -hmm. about what was happening to me and my brother mm -hmm. and even her. Mm -hmm. um, but there was no, there was no, even though help was extended, it was right. not, she didn't know how to receive it from them. Yep. Um, so we grew up in this environment, very hostile, very physically aggressive, um, sexually aggressive, um, uh, very closed because we didn't talk about anything. Uh, I didn't share anything. This went on through my early, uh, of course, adolescent years, puberty, uh, and it just got worse. And I think one of the things that made the situation even more complex and complicated is the fact that my stepfather was also our pastor. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Pastor. He was our pastor. And there were other adults in the ministry who had also um, been victims of his abuse by way of him abusing their children and nothing was done. You My know, goodness. I remember one woman saying she didn't want to say or do anything that would cause my mom hurt or harm or embarrassment because she was such a nice person. And when mm. I look at that now, you know, 40 years later, and I think about the dysfunction of the mindset, you know, Absolutely. of the individuals who are aware of what was happening to their children and even happening to themselves, it really is heartbreaking. So I was raised, you know, in this family where there's systematic and consistent abuse, physical abuse, mm -hmm. sexual abuse, psychological abuse, verbal abuse, um, emotional abuse, spiritual abuse on an wow. literally an everyday basis. This followed me, of course, through my teen years, um, my preteen years. When I was 12, my mm -hmm. mom finally made the decision to left to leave my stepfather. Okay. And that decision is another segment of her life that is very telling. It's it's almost prophetic of how mm. her, her future would uh, begin to play out from that moment. Mm -hmm. When she finally decided to leave my stepfather, everyone who advised her basically told her, you know, you don't have to leave your belongings. You don't have to leave uh, your home at that time. Uh, we had moved to another part of New Haven, Connecticut, where we were living. Very nice apartment. Each of us had our own rooms. It was a, she was a beautiful homekeeper. It was a, a beautiful little place. And I loved that home. It was our home. She left everything, Camille. Wow. And did not have to. Legally, right. didn't. She could have wow. had my stepfather arrested and continued to live there with her children peaceably. She packed all of our things in suitcases. Again, just like the move from Florida to Connecticut with limited belongings, right. limited resources. Wow. No wealth thought out or processed. She packs our things in a couple of suitcases 
and a and garbage bags. And we wow. moved back to Florida to one of her sisters. Mm. And it starts with her a journey back into what I would call lack and despair. From that moment on, my mother never had her own again, Camille. Wow. She never had her own apartment. She never wow. had her own uh, car. Mm -hmm. uh, she was without work for quite a while. So we wow. fell into dire straits, very dire uh -huh. straits. Yeah. Um, we were always living with other people. Mm. We were always, you know, guests that stayed a little bit too long. Mm -hmm. And so even as a child, I felt very unwanted. And, right. you know, as in any atmosphere where you begin to sense that your presence is not wanted or not received, you know, mm -hmm. I felt very self-conscious. So I tried to make myself disappear. I tried to make myself useful to the point where my presence wouldn't be an annoyance. Right. I would be considered valuable because of what I provided. Right. And so at 12 or 13 years old, I started becoming a people pleaser. Mm -hmm. I wow. cleaned, I cooked, I babysat, I ran errands. I did any and everything that I could to make myself valuable and not a nuisance. Mm. And this yeah. carried over into my teen and young adult years. You know, I really developed mm -hmm. the mindset of in order for me to be loved, in order for me to not be rejected, mm -hmm. um, in order for me to not be abused, I need to be completely agreeable. Right. I need to be the type of person that is um, an asset in any environment. Mm -hmm. And I need to uh, disappear. You know, I, I don't want to be a nuisance. I don't want to be oh, someone wow. who is, um, their presence causes um, frustration or aggravation. Mm -hmm. And when you have self-esteem that is that low, you don't know who you are. You don't know how to really communicate with others because you have no voice. Absolutely. You actually adjust your way of thinking and communicating to blend in with those that you want to please or those Absolutely. that you want to find you acceptable or pleasing. And that's that's what I began to do. My my Yeah, it's, it's almost like you were groomed for that since you were 6 years old. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I was, you wow. know, systematically. By the time I was uh, 12, I had developed an eating disorder. Mm. And by the time I was 16 or 17, that eating disorder had morphed into an addiction to uh, laxatives. Wow. Because even trying to be acceptable, you want everything about you to be perfect. Yeah. And when yeah. I began, you know, to go through adolescence and of course my body began to change, I was always very uncomfortable with myself anyway because of the sexual molestation, but I wanted to be perfect. I wanted to weigh mm -hmm. the perfect weight. You know, I, because of the lack that we experienced, we didn't have things that, you know, most the other kids had. So I was teased a lot. Um, I was bullied a lot. Mm -hmm. I was very, very socially awkward. So I didn't right. make friends very easily and I didn't communicate well. I right. literally, Camille, found a fantasy world in books. Wow. I read, I was a voracious, and I still am, I, I read constantly, but that mm -hmm. was my fantasy world. You know, wow. books and imaginary people and imaginary places. It was an escape yeah. from my, yeah. from my reality. Yeah. I can see that. Wow. So that was tough. Wow. And so, so here you are now at a 17, 18 year old. And, and what's, what's happening in your life during this okay, time? Sure. So I began to date. I was a late bloomer because I was very shy and insecure. And because um, pretty much I lived a sheltered life from the aspect of my mom didn't let us go a lot of places. 
She didn't let us spend the night over other people's house. And her concern was that something would happen to us, which was very ironic because when we were with, you know, other people, the truth of the matter is things really didn't happen to us like that. You know, mm -hmm. it was only in the, the presence of my stepfather and some of his family, male family members that we were abused and taken advantage wow. of. So I was very, uh, I was not prepared for the normal 17, 18, 19 year old experiences of life. Right. You know, dating, I didn't date. I, as I said before, was very socially awkward. I was not confident in myself. Um, mm -hmm. I didn't uh, socialize well in mixed groups with, you know, boys and girls, males and females. I, I didn't know how to make my presence known and be secure mm -hmm. in that. So I was always looking for acceptance. And uh, when I was about 19 or 20, I started dating a young man who was uh, far too advanced for me. Um, he was about maybe five or six years older than myself. And okay. through the course of, you know, events, I ended up uh, finding myself pregnant. Mm. And wow. that was just a traumatic and horrific experience. You know, I remember mm. um, the day that I found out I was pregnant. The only thing that ran through my mind that particular day is what happened to me is going to happen to my child. Right. And wow. I don't know if I'll be able to protect them mm -hmm. from having the life that I had. Right. And that terrified me. Right. Wow. I mean, I can, I can understand that because your mom couldn't protect you. So you, would in turn think that you wouldn't be able to protect your child. Yeah, that's, that's, wow. that's really, you know, what I thought. Um, and mm -hmm. I, I remember talking to the young man who was the child's father and saying to him, you know, are you going to take care of your responsibilities? And his response was, I don't know. Wow. You know, very matter of factly, very routine, very dismissive. And that was the right. end of the conversation. And mm -hmm. I made the decision to have um, the abortion. Right. And it was the worst decision of my life. Mm. I didn't seek counseling from family members or friends. I was very ashamed of the fact that I had mm -hmm. gotten pregnant. It was hard work. I was always brothers. You know, I was always dependable and reliable for them, and I did not want to be seen as being a problem. You know, right. I didn't know how I was going to take care of this child. And all I could see was the lack and the suffering and the exposure to violent and dangerous Absolutely. situations that yeah. we endured as children. And I didn't want mm -hmm. that work for my child. Absolutely. As the course of time would, you know, happen, about three months later, I went out on a date. And as a result of being... Uh, sexually molested from the age of six to 12, of course, needless to say, I was very promiscuous. Right. So even though I was very insecure and I didn't manage relationships well, I was always looking for affection. Right. I was always looking for love. I was always looking for acceptance. Mm -hmm. And that played out through, um, you know, sexual relationships, of course, that never led anywhere except to a place of heartbreak and rejection. Mm. This wow. about three months after the first uh, abortion, I remember going out on a date one night, and of course, you know, um, being with the individual, um, you know, intimately. The next night, I went out with another young man from the community that I had known for you know many many years, and um, I had never thought about dating him, but I was impressed that he asked me out, and okay. I thought, wow, you know, he's interested in me. That's really exciting. As it turns out, he was not really interested in me. I went out mm. uh, with him and I was raped that night. Wow. Short, oh shortly goodness. after, uh, I found myself pregnant again, except oh. I didn't know who the father was. Right. I didn't know, oh. you know, if it was the young man who had violated me or the young man that I had been with, you know, consensually the night before. Right. So wow. again... You know, I make the decision to have an abortion. Right. Wow. Yeah. Wow. 
This this story is already so powerful and proof that you do not know what people have gone through in their life. Looking at you, there's no tell sign of any abuse, neglect, anything like that. You just see this sweet woman. <laughs> wow. And thank God for that because truly wow. it's because of his healing and deliverance power. Um and, and and I thank him. He is he is a God who restores, he is a God who heals, he is a God who yeah. mends broken hearts. Wow. You know, he is a God who gives us the ability to forgive others as well as ourselves. And I just Absolutely. I give him all of the honor and all of the glory. I truly do. Yeah. Wow. Wow. So, okay, let me get you back. Um, so, so then you're pregnant a second time and, and then what happens? <clears throat> okay. So I go through the second abortion and, you know, sometimes you hear people say things, of course, you know, then I, I, I would not have been able to explain it adequately if someone mm-hmm. had asked me, okay, well, explain what you mean by what you're going to say. Instantly, Camille, I knew something happened to me. Right. I knew something was wrong. Okay. After the abortion. I didn't have any type of medical issue. I didn't have any type of, you know, um procedural issue, but I knew something internally had happened to me as a result of that second uh abortion. Mm-hmm. And I began to have this fear that I would never have children. And I really loved children, but I I was just afraid of raising children in the type of, honestly, degradation and lack that Mm -hmm. we suffer. I remember, Camille, when I was about 14 years old, collecting cans and bottles with my brother. Right. So that we could have, we can turn them in and uh, buy food. This is Mm. when we lived in Massachusetts. You know, things that you would think would not be heard of in this day and age, you know, in America. Right. But we did. Mm -hmm. And that's all I could see. You know, I remember um, my stepfather uh, making me sit at a table literally all night long with a plate of food because I wouldn't eat it. My goodness. And so since I didn't eat it for dinner, that was Mm -hmm. my breakfast. You know, just abusive situations and my mother is right there in the room and never comes right. into the right. you know, never says this is going to stop or this is not acceptable absolutely. And I did, I'm sorry I said absolutely wow yeah and mm-hmm. I didn't realize because I was younger then I didn't realize that she had gone through her own emotional and mental trauma you know at that age I was not able to be compassionate to her plight Mm-hmm. I wasn't able to process, you know, the fact that something detrimentally and profoundly wrong has happened to this woman and it has impaired her ability to protect and cover her children in the way that she should. And I think that's something that as I grow older, the Lord is just making me even more sensitive to the fact that many times we blame our parents for the things that they didn't do right and the mistakes that they made. And the ways that we feel that perhaps they weren't there for us, they didn't cover us, they didn't, you know, whatever. And mm-hmm. we don't take into consideration that they are human beings with flaws and faults uh, and issues and problems just like us. Now we are absolutely, parents, you know, parent figures yeah. and mm-hmm. we're making mistakes and absolutely. we're making wrong choices mm-hmm. and we're doing things that are causing our lives to be derailed to a certain degree. But yeah. we can understand now where, you know, the process of our decision making sort of went to the left because it's us directly in the situation. It's hard to understand Absolutely. that when you're reviewing someone else's life. Yeah. 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 That, that's so true. I I recently for myself had to just look back and, you know, you blame, you blame dad, you blame mom so much. I had to just stand there and really replay what was a lie, first of all, because the enemy whispers so many lies to us as children yes. that then take root and we carry it. And it was never true in the first place. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I had to 
you know, yes, my dad does love me. Yes. <laughs> you know, where do these lies come from? Right. So, yep. And we build these foundations um, in our relationships that are flawed, flawed and right. faulty. And, yeah. you know, they're, they're inaccurate. They're weak and they're not going to uh-huh. hold up the relationship because they have no merit, but we don't understand that as we're building. Yeah. It really takes God mm-hmm. to come in and renovate our lives and restructure yeah. those foundations and cause us to be able to stomach truth. Mm-hmm. You know, um, after the second abortion, I never conceived again. Wow. And it wasn't until years later, you know, that mm-hmm. um, I developed a medical condition. I was, my face was partially paralyzed called Bell's palsy. And mm-hmm. I remember, um, it was right after I got married and the doctor had told me, you know, if you, if you happen to get pregnant now, the hormones from pregnancy will trigger another attack of Bell's palsy and it mm-hmm. will um, affect the other side of your face or your entire face and you may not recover. Wow. And I thought, you know, this is just a punishment mm-hmm. from me, the aftermath right. of having the abortion, because at that mm-hmm. time I had to make a decision to have a tubal ligation so that I would not conceive. Right. So, you know, miraculously, wow. perhaps God will open your womb, but you need to prevent that now because right. of this major medical condition. Mm-hmm. And so the guilt of what I had done, you know, all those years before just right. came flooding back into my life. Wow. The shame of it, the embarrassment, the humiliation, Um, the feelings of low self-esteem. And one of the things that affected me the most, Camille, for years, I could not go to my my friend's baby shower. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. Wow. Even though I was great with kids and loved kids and kids loved me. I have 13 godchildren. I love children. But Mm -hmm. I could not function in atmospheres like that. The burden of guilt and shame and embarrassment Mm. that weighed my spirit down. It was crushing. Mm. It was literally crushing. I felt I didn't deserve to have an opportunity to be a mother. Mm -hmm. I felt like God saw me as a murderer. Mm. I felt that if other women knew this truth about me, especially after I came to the Lord and after mm-hmm. I, you know, was filled with the Holy Spirit and I truly began to understand the tragedy of the decisions that I had made. Mm-hmm. I felt like people would not respect me anymore. They would not want to receive my ministry. They would think less of me uh-huh. and living in that private torment. Um, it began to dismantle me, Camille, about mm-hmm. Maybe two years ago, I started mm-hmm. praying about this situation. Wow. I started praying in that. earnest about it. Yeah. And one of the things that the Lord spoke to me, because at that time I had also begun to write. Mm-hmm. The Lord spoke to me one night. I was having writer's block and I was like, you know, why can't I finish this, you know, project that I'm working on? Why can't I can't find the right words? I can't think. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, because you're diluting your testimony. Mm, wow. Yeah. You're trying to make Honestly. it acceptable. You're trying to make it mm. pleasant. You're trying to make it palatable. You're still yeah. ashamed of what I've done for you and where I've mm. brought you from. So you're not writing truth. You're mm. actually writing lies wow. and packaging them as your testimony. Mm. Wow. That was a shocker for me. Yeah. Wow. That's big. It was. It -hmm. was. For years, and this is something, you know, that I've thought about, I dealt with depression on such a profound level. First, of course, it initially came from being violated at six years old. You know, Mm -hmm. I've dealt with depression pretty much all of my life. Then as I grew older, the depression um, was fueled by rejection, mm-hmm. not fitting in, not being acceptable, not being the chosen one, not being uh, the right person for 
you know, um, people to choose to be in relationship with or, you know, have these great communications with not being valuable. And after the abortions, the depression, the low self-esteem, the feelings of inferiority and inadequacy as a woman Mm -hmm. just overshadowed my life. Wow. Profoundly. It really kept me from being my true self in so many ways. Mm-hmm. And it was not until about uh, two years ago when the Lord spoke that to me concerning diluting my testimony. And over the course of a few months after that initial incident, the Lord began to deal with me with the fact that you're going to have to share this. Yeah, You're going yeah. to have to make this public. You are not wow. the only one who is suffering in silence. See. You are not the only one who feels like they have no self-value or self-worth mm-hmm. because they have not carried, I'm getting emotional. Yes, yes. Or born yes, a people. child. Yes. And I begin to cry out to the Lord and ask God to heal me. Yes. To heal my womb, to heal my spirit, mm-hmm. to forgive me, to give me the mm-hmm. assurance that my children were with him and that he mm-hmm. loved me in spite of my wrong and very flawed decisions Mm -hmm. but Camille I also prayed for God to give me the strength to share my story not from a place of anger or vengeance Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. concerning the children's fathers but from a place of humility and a place of just forgiveness knowing that these are decisions that I made. I cannot right, say right. I would be lying, Camilla, if I said either of the young men forced me to have an abortion. They did not. Absolutely. They did not. Mm-hmm. I, that was my decision based on my life experiences mm-hmm. and right. not receiving godly counsel. It's the aftermath right. now that I deal with. And even going public with this and sharing this story. And Mm -hmm. I tell you, even today, I feel such a freedom in my spirit. And I thank God for you allowing this platform. Absolutely. Moments of Joy is a program for moms in all of the aspects of motherhood. Yes. Those successful moments. And those mm-hmm. moments that weren't so successful, those proud That's moments right. and those moments of shame. Mm-hmm. And That's so right. I thank you. You know, even today, there is so much healing and restoration and deliverance in this conversation. I thank you, sis. Oh, thank you. You are so welcome. Yes. No problem. I, I just, I'm blown away because. There are so many people you you're speaking of how you overcame and how you healed, but there's so many people still carrying the shame yes. and still dealing with the aftermath and yes. that they haven't been healed from. Yes. And so do you have any specific advice or message that you would like to give these women who are still carrying the pain and the rejection and depression associated with abortion. Absolutely. Absolutely. I would say, first of all, to every one of my sisters who have experienced this very horrific and tragic circumstance, I would say, first of all, to you that God loves you. God loves you, sis. He forgives you. And the most important aspect of your experience now is that you forgive yourself and be released from the condemnation that you feel. Uh, One of the things that was very important to me um, when I got married, Camille, because Mm -hmm. I didn't tell my husband about this before I got married. Yes. And I really regretted that. My husband is is, is a few years older than myself. Mm -hmm. Actually, my husband's 22 years older than me. Mm -hmm. And so having children was never... A, a you know a point of issue for him mm-hmm. he said, if you want them fine if not that's fine I love you and that's good enough for me but I remember the day that I had to tell him about it 
Mm -hmm. Um, I cried the whole day. I mean, I was just a ball of nerves. I was so ashamed. I was embarrassed. I just felt like, oh my God, he's going to divorce me. And when I, he, he was very patient and he let me work it out. He let me get it out. And he said to me, I know. Wow. I was like, you know, he said, yeah, I, I know. I knew something like that had happened to you. I just prayed for you wow. and, you know, ask God when you're ready to talk about it, I'll be ready. But that doesn't change the way I feel about you. I love you. If that. we have wow. 10 children, great. If we don't have any children, I won't love you any less. That's beautiful. That began to spread a healing balm on yeah. my emotional wound. Wow. So I also want to say to the young women, women who are experiencing this, there is a very real and powerful aftermath to abortion. Mm-hmm. And the word, the word aftermath in its basic meaning just means the consequences or the after effects. Yeah. It's very important that you find a safe place through either counseling, perhaps with a pastor, perhaps with a family member that you can trust, um, that loves you to get it out. Mm-hmm. It's holding secrets like that almost acts like a cancer in the body. And it begins to eat away at your hope. It eats away at your destiny. It eats away at your joy. It eats away at your peace of mind. It eats away at your emotional and mental stability. It eats away at your relationship with God because the enemy would have you hold yourself a hostage and imprisoned to the mistakes of your past when Christ nailed every one of those mistakes and every one of those flaws to the cross. He has forgiven you. He died that you might have life and that more abundantly. That was the whole purpose of his death, burial, and resurrection, that those things would be buried with Christ and that you would be able to rise in the newness of life. Mm -hmm. And so to my sisters, I would say on today, receive healing and begin to actively pursue healing. Can you tell everyone your story initially? No, but the Lord will send you and lead you to a safe place. He will send and lead you to a safe person a person who will cover you in love, a person who will not be judgmental, who will hear you out, who will allow you to purge, literally, who will allow you to get all of that infection out and all clean that wound, that emotional and spiritual wound out so you can begin to heal from the inside. That's what I I would say, you know, to women who are struggling with the aftermath of abortion. That would be there is life after yeah. your bad decision. Yeah. And be consider that with all God has brought you through and all that he allowed you to survive, it's because you have purpose. You have purpose. God did not allow you to die on that abortion table because you have purpose. Your testimony has power. Your experience is going to save someone else's life and bring them out of the depths of despair. If you are listening under the sound of my voice, I want you to know that God has a purpose for your life. He has a plan for you. Stop diluting your testimony and allow God to be glorified, not in who you were, but who you are today as a result of his healing power and forgiveness. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. That was great. You are so awesome. You're amazing. And um, <laughs> I love you. That was, This is really powerful. This is amazing. I can just imagine because there's people all over the world that listen to this podcast. At first, when I looked at the statistics and I saw um, Ireland and Canada and Jamaica, Trinidad and Tobago, you know, sometimes different countries come on. And they just, you know, they'll listen one time, but there, I have listeners in Ireland that are downloading every week. I have listeners in Kenya that are downloading every week. We just got South Africa every week. So all over the United States, I see states like Iowa, South Dakota. So God has just brought this testimony worldwide today. I want you to know that because people are going to download 
all over the place. So you never know who it is that needs to hear this, who's on the edge, who's really struggling with this specific testimony. And I am so guaranteed that it's going to save somebody's life. And I'm just leaping with joy inside. This is great. That is This is great. I thank God for the opportunity to testify of what he has done. Of my own making. You know, I didn't understand how to receive healing. I didn't understand how to receive forgiveness. Mm -hmm. I didn't understand how to lay the care of this, you know, tragic situation and challenging life circumstance at his feet. And just say, you know, Father, cover me with your love, with your compassion, you know, with with your uh, restorative power. Mm-hmm. I didn't know how to be covered yeah. by the love of God. Mm-hmm. I was kind of like a like a toddler when you put them in the crib for their nap and they're constantly kicking out from under the covers. Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. I honestly felt like I didn't receive. Yes. Wow. So I struggled with receiving it. Yeah. You know, but I want my testimony to be a lifeline to someone. Yes. I want them to know that not only can God restore, but he can make you over. Absolutely. He can create in you a clean heart and renew the right spirit. And even the spiritual pollution that takes place in our bodies, you know, through sexual immorality and the aftermath. Mm-hmm. That happens because of those immoral happenings. God is able to cleanse us and make us every whit whole. So today I pray that women of God and even the fathers who are involved, even those who have uh, promoted and encouraged women and in some cases forced them to have abortion. I pray that the spirit of forgiveness, the Holy Spirit would fall, the convicting spirit of the Holy Spirit would fall upon them today. And they would receive the love of God, yes. that they would acknowledge their wrongdoing and repent Absolutely. and ask for forgiveness and receive God's healing. Yes. Receive his healing. Amen. So today you are a mentor. You have a mentoring yes. program and it is called Treasure and Earthen Vessels. And I would like you to talk a little bit about that and let the listeners know how they can find you. Thank you so much. I am very excited about Treasures in Earthen Vessels. It is a mentorship uh, program that the Lord um, gave me. I have been a recipient of mentoring pretty much uh, ever since I came to the Lord, which is like probably about 25 years now. And mentoring is very, very close to my heart. It's something I feel passionately about. Um, It's something that truly transformed my life. And I've been a mentor sort of unofficially for many, many years. You know, it sort of came naturally to me because of the mentoring that I received. And over the last couple of years, the Lord really sort of impressed in my spirit that, okay, now it's time for you to give birth. You've been pregnant with this vision long enough. And it's time for you to push (laughs) this baby out and allow it to begin to thrive and live and grow. Um, and affect uh, women's lives in a positive way. So treasures in earthen vessels came about because of um, the way really I was benefited and blessed by uh, mentoring. One of the things that I'm doing with the program is creating a unique process for each woman. I don't believe mentoring is a one-size-fits-all science. Mm And I don't believe you can develop a program that's a cookie cutter program. You know, right. everything fits everyone. I don't, I don't think that's how it works. Mm-hmm. I think you really have to get to know the women that you're working with and sort of figure out what unique um, parameters of their lives will be most beneficial to them when they're incorporated into a formal mentoring program. So that's what we're doing. Um, I would love to share more about the program with yeah. any woman who is interested. You can reach me uh, by email at tievgroup at yahoo.com. That's T as in Tom, I as in ice, E as in ear, V 
is in Victor Group at Yahoo.com. I've recently um, just started talking to people about the benefits of mentoring and even how it interfaces spiritually. One of the greatest uh, components, I believe, of mentoring is the component of discipleship. Mm-hmm. And that's something very important to me. Not only do I want to help you succeed naturally and reach your goals naturally, but the ultimate goal of mentoring is to draw you closer to Christ. So I'm very excited. We're still in the birthing stages okay. of treasures in earthen vessels, mm-hmm. but I am super excited about what God is doing. I'm super excited that he has chosen me to do it. Mm-hmm. And I look forward to the women that I will be uh, building relationships with um, through this mentorship program. Yes, I'm excited. And I will list that contact information for all the listeners in the description of the podcast. And this has been amazing. You're Thank so welcome. You so much. You're welcome. I'm I'm just in awe. Like, thank you, Jesus. This is what the Moments of Joy podcast is all about. <laughs> it really is. Yes. It really is. I am in awe. You know, in the mid, out of the midst of something that was so painful and such, you know, a devastating experience in my life, it has brought me a moment of joy to be able to sit with you today from a healed position and a healed place and share words of love and encouragement with my sister. So I thank you. I thank you so much. You're welcome. Praise God. Well, it's a wrap. Thank you for (laughs) visiting us on the Moments of Joy podcast. And we love you, your friend and sister. (laughs) I love you too. Thank you for having me. I'm thanking your listeners um, in advance for receiving what the Lord poured out on today. And you are a friend and a sister. And I'm so proud of the footprint you are leaving in the earth. For such a time as this, God is going to use you greatly, not only in this vehicle. So get ready to give birth again, Camille. Oh, okay. God is getting I ready will. to expand. Yes, yes. yes. So yes. this is just one portion of what is going to be Thank to you. encourage men and women in the body of Christ and in the world at large. Thank you. I received that. You're welcome. Alrighty. Thank you so much. Talk to you You're soon. You're welcome. God bless. You're welcome. Bye bye. Ready?